Hello, everyone. Welcome to Careers Unfiltered. I'm Casey, and I'm joined by my amazing co-host, Danae. How are you, Danae? Doing good. Hi, Casey. Hi. Well, we're both super excited because we are joined by Jesse Kramer. Jesse graduated from the University of Rochester with a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering in 2012 and later received his master's in mechanical engineering in 2014. He puts his technical skills to work at L3 Harris Technologies as a system engineer, while also sharing personal financial advice at his nationally recognized blog, The Best Interest. Welcome, Jesse. Hey, Danae and Casey. Thank you for having me on. No, thank you so much for coming and joining us today. And I guess to get started, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and what drew you to the engineering industry? Sure, sure. So uh, like you said, you know, graduated in 2012, which if you backtrack, makes me 30 years old. And uh, what drew me to engineering, I mean, growing up, I really enjoyed math and science. Uh, I grew up in a, a small school between, a small town, I should say, with a small school between Rochester and Syracuse, New York, kind of out in the country. I think, you know, growing up there, I was exposed to what I would call kind of basic levels of math and science. I, I didn't get the benefit of a lot of the AP classes that maybe uh, some U of R students um, get in some of the, the bigger schools. But I knew I really enjoyed those subjects. Um, engineering seemed like a pretty natural path to go down for me to kind of apply those subjects into a, a some sort of real world application uh, and, and eventual employment. And um, a funny story about ending up at U of R, I think, is that my, my oldest brother, who's five years older than me, he ended up going to Union College in Schenectady, New York. But one of his college tours, or when he was kind of visiting, trying to make up his own mind, was at U of R. I didn't know it at the time. I just kind of knew we were going up to Rochester for a college visit. But I remember the view. So this is 13-year-old me. I remember the view of being at the Interfaith Chapel and looking at Rush Reese and being like, whoa, this is a college campus. Like, this is mm -hmm. really cool. So then fast forward to my junior year of high school when I'm trying to figure out where I wanted to go. And I figure, okay, U of R is close by. Let me go take that campus tour. And I saw that view again. And I realized like, oh, this, that was U of R. That, that's where I've been before. And uh, so anyway, that, that was a big uh, reason why I ended up choosing U of R was because I, I remember how much I enjoyed the campus the first time I was there. Um, but Casey, you asked me about engineering. So did I, did I answer your question sufficiently? <laughs> Most definitely. Okay. And yes, I also felt the same way when I first got to campus. Like I'm the oldest of four daughters. And when we mm -hmm. first saw the view of the library, we were all like stunned. Like this is a campus. Right, right. Yeah. It, it really is so beautiful. I've lived in Rochester my entire life. And until I worked or until I went to U of R to interview for my current position, I've never been to the campus. So almost three years ago now when I showed up there, I was floored by how beautiful the campus was. So I 100% agree with that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a nice it's a hidden gem, you know, it really it is. It really is. It really is. So Jesse, do you mind telling our listeners and describing a little bit what it's like to be a system engineer? Like what does that mean and what does your day-to-day -day look like? Sure, absolutely. Um, so my, my first four years at L3 Harris, I've been there five years now. I, I was a mechanical engineer. Specifically, I, I worked in the thermal engineering group. And then in the last year, I've switched over into the systems engineering group. 
So the simple difference is that a, a systems engineer uh, has to define what needs to get done. And then an, a design or an analysis engineer has to figure out how to do that thing. So in, in the engineering world, we work with um, specifications and requirements. And so a requirements document might say, you know, this microphone that I'm speaking into needs to have a certain sensitivity to noise. And they need to define that requirement. And then it's a design engineer's role to figure out like, okay, what kind of components do I need to put into the microphone in order to meet that requirement? So systems engineering is, it's kind of holistic. Um, you don't necessarily get down into the nitty gritty design details about, you know, what size screw do I need to use here? And how thick does this, does this structural member have to be? Um, but you do have to kind of understand, okay, if I, if I change something over here, how is that going to affect the rest of the system? How is that going to affect my ability to meet other requirements? Specifically, at L3 Harris, I'm working in optomechanical systems. Um, things like the James Webb Space Telescope is a good example of, of something that we've worked on, which combines U of R optics. Tons of U of R employees work there. Um, but it's, there's optical engineering, there's mechanical engineering, um, there's electrical engineering. And, and someone, in our case, it's the systems engineers, kind of has to have a, a rough feel of all those different trades and then figure out kind of how all the puzzle pieces fit together. Wow, that's interesting. Thank you for breaking that down. I am very unfamiliar with the world of engineering, so that was really helpful. Thank you. Good. Yeah, you're welcome. Yes. And then along with that, not only do you wear your hat as a systems engineer, but then you also are a writer with your blog, The Best Interest, which is a great name, by the way. We both loved it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. The name, I kind of alluded to it beforehand. There are a lot of personal finance blogs. I think it's a cool topic to write about because it, unlike, say, systems engineering of optomechanical satellite telescopes, uh, personal finance is something that does pretty much apply to everybody. And, uh, if, you know, as long as you deal with money in some part of your life, which we all do, you can kind of learn something from personal finance. Um, but yeah, the blog name, thank you, Casey. Appreciate it. I was trying to avoid, you know, putting money or finance or making a pun with the word sense in my <laughs> blog name. And the best interest allowed me to keep some sort of pun in there and, and maybe go in a different direction than some other websites. No, yes, it's excellent. And it, I think it leaves like a really good impression. And so then to go off of that, what was your motivating force to start the blog? Something I've been asked before, and, and sometimes I even struggle with an answer, but I do know that there were times when I was trying to almost justify to myself that I understood what, what I was doing in my own financial life. And by that, I mean, um, you know, so I'm, I'm sitting there at, say, five years ago at age 25 trying to figure out how much money do I put in my 401k? Like, what, what's the smart thing to do? Um, how should I expect that money to grow over the next 20 or 30 or 40 years? Um, and it's, those are questions that don't necessarily get answered in school. And they're questions that, that answers do exist out there. And, and some of them are really good. But sometimes I found that there's, um, there's language used in the financial industry and in the personal finance space that I call intentionally murky. And by that, I mean, 
if if someone is able to keep information confusing so that they understand how things work, but but you might not, it kind of it leads to some advantages and disadvantages. And and maybe you'll be more willing to pay someone to tell you what to do with your money if you don't really understand it yourself, if you don't understand that what you should be doing. And what I found, the more I read about it and the more I learned, is that a lot of the stuff is is pretty simple. It involves a little bit of math. And like, yeah, you you have to break out your calculator from time to time. Um, But it's not rocket science. And I work on things in space. So I don't work on rockets, but I work on space satellites. So I'm uh, somewhat qualified to say that it's not rocket science, I think. (laughs) And so I started writing these things to convince myself that I knew what I was talking about and that I could explain something in simple terms. And the more I wrote, the more I realized, why don't I just publish this stuff online, see if it sticks, see if other people um, have counterpoints to what I'm saying. And that's kind of how the blog was born. That's really interesting. So I work in marketing and obviously I know a little bit about what goes into creating a blog and it's a lot of work. It truly is. So I'm curious what that process was like when you started taking that on as a project. Good question. I'm thinking about the best way to explain it. There were, there were some significant steps that occurred and then like there would be a plateau and then there'd be another big step. Um, so early on there, there are some sites, um, for lack of a better term, I'll say there are some sites where they say, we'll take care of all the back end stuff. All you have to do is write. And those sites, I mean, it's great if all you want to do is write. Uh, Sometimes they're not the most flexible because they have to keep things really simple for the people who just want to show up. And I just want to write an article and publish it. And if you want to come check it out, you can. So I did that for maybe the first six months. And then the more I read about, you know, how to build an audience and and how to grow it a little bit bigger. Even something as simple as like, I want to change that color. I want to change that font. I couldn't necessarily do it because of that lack of flexibility. So I ended up moving my site over to a different host. I'm not going to get into too much technical jargon here, but then all of a sudden it meant that I had to maintain a lot of the backend stuff. You can think of it as, um, have you ever seen those pictures of the inside of, of, say, an airplane cockpit or or a, a submarine control mm-hmm. station where yep. there's like a hundred different knobs to turn. Yep. And you're like, holy cow, this is a lot. That's kind of what it feels like on the back end of a website. And and sometimes you like turn this knob over here to change a font size and your website goes down and, and you can't mm-hmm. figure out why. Um, but so there's a little learning curve there. And that was kind of like the steep section up to a different plateau. And once I learned that, okay, it, things got calm again and, and most of everything takes care of itself. And all I have to do is write once a week. And there have been a couple more little things like that. I'm, I'm working with some other writers and, and we prop each other up and bounce ideas off each other. That's been a really helpful step in the right direction. I had to learn this acronym called SEO that like two years ago wasn't even on my radar. Mm-hmm. And now it's, you know, because of this world that I've kind of put myself in, <laughs> it's everywhere. For your listeners, it stands for search engine optimization. And it basically means how do you convince Google that you're a website worth reading? So that if Danae or, or Casey searched in, you know, uh, what is the index fund bubble? For some reason, Google has decided that the best interest is, is one of your top resources to answer that question. And it has to do with search engine optimization. So there's been a lot to learn, but it's been pretty fun. 
I love that. I could talk about SEO and all those types of things all day long. And it's pretty funny because at U of R, SEO stands for our student employment office. So the first time I saw that come through like in an email, I was very confused. I was like, why are we talking about like search engine optimization right now? And then someone's like, no, Danae, like it's the student employment office. I was like, oh, we should like think about these acronyms a little bit more. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. The, uh, the the telescope world is full of acronyms, and mm-hmm. I, I assume, all, you know, there are acronyms everywhere, and yeah, uh, they can get a little cumbersome at times. <laughs> so earlier, you were mentioning like how you have to like learn all these new skills, like with SEO and everything, and it's always a learning process. And so I'm curious how you manage your full-time job as an engineer, but then also working on your blog, improving it and generating content. How do you manage like a work-life balance? It's a struggle. (laughs) Um, It's a, it's a great question. Um, Thankfully my job for the most part is 40 hours a week. Sometimes it stretches out to 45 or 50, but it's certainly not kind of one of those jobs that you might read about it's you know 70 or 80 or 100 hour weeks it's not like that so that's good the writing process for me without sounding overconfident I, I mean I've become a better writer in these two years you know it's just it's going to happen you, you do something every week and, and you get better at it so I've gotten better at being able to kind of pound out a, a thousand word post in I don't know rather than 10 hours maybe now it only takes me three something like that um and if I am crunched for time, one thing I try to do is keep a little backlog of, of ideas or even, you know, a 200-word outline that I can just kind of flesh out if I need to quickly and, and publish that. Um, because I do try to publish every Friday, and, and sometimes it does get a little tight there. Outside of those things, I think it's just the time management aspect is, is yeah. And on some weeks when I happen to have a lot of free time, I try to get a lot of the back-end stuff done. And on weeks where time is really tight, I say, okay, all I, all I have this week is four hours and I'm going to write a short post and just take care of that. And uh, the nice thing about the blog now, it has enough momentum that a lot of things are on autopilot where I can just kind of let it sit there and people will still find it from Google and, and, and some things other than publishing new material, the website just kind of sits there and, and people come and people go and it's just kind of this, this passive object that people interact with, whether I'm there or not, if that, if that kind of makes sense. That definitely does. And I'm sure like you learned a lot of these skills, like also like while in college, like, do you have any particular experiences or classes and such that helped prepare you for this new career that you've created for <laughs> yourself? Yeah, yeah, I do. So a little thing. I don't blame you at all for not including it in the in the intro, but my uh, my junior and senior year at U of R, I played on the squash team, so I you know and and I was a walk on. I got pretty lucky in the way the circumstances all played out, but yeah. So so I ended up playing a varsity sport for two years at school, and kind of had to uh, to figure out you know how to balance a full load of of mechanical engineering courses with playing a sport with, you know, trying to maintain a, a social life. Cause there's this thing, I don't know if you guys remember back before the pandemic, there's this thing called socialization <laughs> that we would all do. <laughs> and, and so kind of remember, right. Oh my goodness. 
But yeah, it's pretty analogous to that, Casey, to the to the idea of, you know, every day from from six to eight thirty PM I'd have this interruption and I'd have to go play squash. And then after that, even if you're tired or sore or even if the guy you were playing with accidentally, you know, hit you with a the ball, you'd have to go to Rush Rees and still study and still do your homework. And uh and still I remember uh a mechanical engineering professor who was, I have very fond memories of. He's an extremely nice guy. But one Friday when I told him, like, I can't take your test this Friday, we're playing Yale. He said, Jesse, are you an engineer or a squash player? <laughs> and I had to look at him and be like, I'm both. I'm both. Right, so, right. <laughs> but I understood where <laughs> he was coming from. But, um, U of R, that experience, those experiences at U of R definitely helped me kind of figure out the whole, not only work-life balance, but kind of like the work-work balance of, of what's primary, what's secondary, and, and how do you fit it all in? Yeah, so I'm curious if, since we've been talking a little bit about your blog and the skills you're using over there, and then also within engineering, do you see overlaps between both sections that you're dedicating like a good amount of your life to like, do you see overlaps between the two? Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. So the blog is really all about communicating complex ideas and sometimes they're not so complex. I mean, that's kind of one of the points is, is the ideas are usually straightforward as long as they're presented in a straightforward way. Um, So there is this huge overlap where, let me for a second go to the, to the telescope side of things. Some of these projects will have 100 engineers who on average have 20 years, 15 years of experience, let's say. 15 years, 100 engineers. Well, that's 1,500 years of combined engineering know-how. All right? And that's way too much for any one person to uh, replicate. There aren't, there aren't people who live to be 1,500 years old yet. So the idea is if you can't, communicate what you know to someone else, then, then things are going to come to a standstill because there, there has to be this understanding that no one person knows everything and you have to be able to communicate what you know to someone who doesn't know that. I don't know if my English was right there, but you get the idea. And so the blog is, is kind of similar where I try to take these ideas that sometimes people will have no familiarity with and break them down into some sort of consumable, some sort of consumable product. And that's done by, you know, trying to use straightforward language, putting some humor in there, using some good, you know, similes and metaphors and analogies and those kind of things. And at the same time, I think the blog has made me, like I said before, a better writer, a better communicator. So there are times at work where it helps to be able to kind of say like, okay, let me try to let me try to write really clearly here. Um, or, and this is just a, this is kind of going off on a quick little tangent. Um, or just pick up the phone because as much as I love writing and I write every week, I think in general, not only I've, I've had three different jobs, so L3 Harris and two others. And at all three jobs, I've found that people become too reliant on email, too reliant on text message. And it causes, it can cause a lot of confusion when a, a 30 second phone call would have been the right decision to make. Yeah, that's super important to remember. 
And then I think also like I really like how you place emphasis on like the accessibility of the information that you're producing and like how it can open up very clear and succinct ideas about what you're doing as an engineer and then also what you're doing for personal finance information. So I know like as a college student, I made a very concerted effort this past summer to like learn more about personal finance. Like my dad and I would sit at the table and I'm just like, I don't know what you're trying to tell me right now. (laughs) So like what would be like a piece of advice that you would share for students like who may be graduating soon or who are in college and are attempting to figure out what to do with their personal finances? Great question. So some of the basics, like let me... let me try to go back to like square one and square one, I think is, is setting a, a baseline for yourself as, as you might expect square one should be. And what I mean there is, is trying to get an understanding of what you currently have. I'll come back to these points, what you currently have, and then what comes in each month and what goes out each month. So what you currently have is, something like the money that's in your bank account. For a student just coming out of college, it would also include what student debt you owe. It might include that rundown car that your parents gave you five years ago. Nice. If you're lucky, it might include some sort of investment that, you know, Aunt Ethel left you when she passed away. You know, rest in peace, Aunt Ethel. So it's, it's establishing, okay, how, how much money do I have right now? Okay, let's mm-hmm. just get down to brass tacks. But then the second part is, Ideally, hopefully you have a a nice job coming out of college, you know, let's hope the career center, let's go Gwen Green Center, (laughs) hopefully you have a a nice job and you have to understand how much money is coming in each month from that job and what are your expenses. And so that, that process, if you're unfamiliar is, is budgeting. Um, There are different ways to budget. Some people kind of do a course budget where once a month they look at their bank statement and they say, Okay, how much money did I spend this month? 2000 bucks. Well, great, because 2500 bucks came in. I've got a $500 surplus. I'm good. Other people go much more fine in their budgeting. I, I, tend to go much, I, I tend to go on the fine side. And I try to track every dollar I spend. Um, where, you know, I spent $82.11 last night at Wegmans. I have a little app. Uh, shout out, you need a budget free advertising right there for you need a budget, but it's a really nice app that allows you to track your spending and allows you to monitor trends over time. And it allows me to recognize like, Oh, you know, I spent $300 last month on dog treats. That was probably dumb. I shouldn't do that anymore. And so to wrap up this spiel, there's a great quote that I use. Uh, the quote is you can't manage what you don't measure. So you can't improve, you can't manage something that you don't even know exists, something that you don't measure. So I think the act of measuring your personal finance, which is this step zero, really will allow you to manage, uh, manage your money going forward. So I'm sure the 22-year-olds who are just graduating college right there, I, I, I can tell that they're cracking open the beers and, and bumping each other on the chest from that real brave speech I just gave. Um, Very exciting stuff, I know. But the the simple truth of it is, over the long term, these kind of behaviors will lead to 
I mean, it's not really about having more money. That is nice. But the thing that money enables you to have, which is like lower stress, it enables you to pursue things that you want to pursue. At the end of the day, it really is about having more time to do the things you want and, and being less stressed and more happy as you do them. So that's really the goal. That's amazing. I know, I think anyone listening to this podcast, whether they're students or not, like that's some really great basic advice that I think it matters. Just like you were saying, like these little things that you do and paying just a little bit more attention, like it really makes a difference in the long run, especially as you start thinking about your future, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's, it is a a long road, Danae, right? It's, and then one thing about personal finance and, and investing, you know, cause that's kind of the other the half of the coin is, is preparing for the future and is thinking 10, 20, 30 years out, like, where do I want to be and how comfortable do I want to be? And what actions can I take today that will, will help me down that path? Great. Casey, I hope you're not too overwhelmed over there. I see you. <laughs> you do no, okay? I'm trying to absorb all of this information <laughs> and trying to think of how I can apply it. What I like about personal finance is that you can make small changes and then you can see how those affect and improve the way that you approach like your money spending habits. So I really like that. And so I guess we're almost out of time and our final question would be, if you could provide one piece of career advice, what would it be? It's a great question. And are you thinking, Casey, I mean, specifically, do you want me to target this towards some of the listeners who are currently at U of R or just, just in general? I feel like it could be, or you could choose. How okay. about? Yeah, yeah, yes. absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, one thing that I think about going back to my U of R days that I did an okay job at, but I really admire some of the people who did a a better job um, at doing this is they found ways to utilize their time on campus and their, their resources on campus to really catapult their career. Sometimes even before they, before they even left Rochester. I mean, a couple, a couple people who come to mind for me. uh, I mean, one guy who I graduated with, he, was already, I mean, if, if he's listening, Dave Narrow, David Narrow, um, he was already pretty sure he wanted to go down an entrepreneurial path in the engineering fields before he left U of R. So he turned his senior project in biomedical engineering into, they, they tried to turn it into a small business. I think they got involved maybe with the, the Simon School, some sort of entrepreneurial thing. Uh, it didn't work out, but he caught the bug. And, and what did he do after that? Well, he went to Johns Hopkins. He worked with, uh, I believe, an MD at Johns Hopkins. Now they have a, a business together, and it's very successful. But the idea is he, he caught the bug of entrepreneurship at U of R. He used his time at U of R to really figure out what he wanted to do, and then he, then he went for it. Do I fit in there? I mean, the job I have now, I can attribute to one single class that I had in grad school, I got pretty lucky to take too. Um, It wasn't originally supposed to be what I was studying in grad school, but uh, the plasma physics that I was studying at the laser lab was way too hard. So I had to stop studying that because I didn't understand what was going on. Major props to the people at the laser lab who understand what's going on. And I ended up taking this class called optomechanics. And optomechanics basically says, I have this really nice mirror or this really nice lens that reflects light. 
but how do I hold that lens in the right position without bending it and therefore bending the light in a way I don't want to? It sounds like a very niche subject. It kind of is, but there's a huge industry out there. How do you wear glasses? Right? How do you hold glasses in a glasses frame without bending the glasses and therefore kind of ruining the whole point of the glasses in the first place? And I was able to take that class and basically get a job out of it. Right. So I think one a big piece of advice I have for people at U of R is you don't have to think about what you're going to be doing at age 50. But there are a lot of ways you can be at U of R and say, what am I going to be doing in two years or five years or how do I get there? And, and talk to your professors and people like that because they know people in industry. Right. They've got PhDs. They've got connections um, and they can help you kind of put a plan together of, of getting to where you want to go. Awesome. I love that. Thank you so much, Jesse, for sharing so many great different pieces of advice and insight on both sides of the spectrum, right? Um, So yeah, just thank you so much for taking the time to talk with Casey and I. It's been a lot of fun and we hope that your blog gets all the success and all of the views and hits that you are hoping and dreaming that it'll get. Thank you both very much. I, I appreciate the opportunity to come on. It was a lot of fun. If and when I change careers again, I hope you'll have me back. Absolutely. We'd love to. If you enjoyed what you heard from our amazing guests and their career journeys, please give us a rating on your podcast listening platform of choice. Hit subscribe and share us with your friends. Thank you so much for listening and see you next time on Careers Unfiltered. Careers Unfiltered.